Welcome to Force Ghost Coast to Coast, a MultiversityComics.com podcast. My name is Brian Salvatore, and I will be your host through this podcast series. This is Episode 1, The Phantom Memory. On today's show, we're going to hear from members of the MultiversityComics.com staff, who are going to tell us all about their earliest Star Wars memories. My earliest Star Wars memory is one of my earliest memories, period. I was born in 1982, and one of my first memories is being in the home that my family lived in until I was five and a half years old, watching The Return of the Jedi with my father. The house had an upstairs family room that I think was wood-paneled. I honestly can't remember because I was so young and we lived there. But I remember hiding behind the couch and crying and being very, very scared of when the Emperor was using Force Lightning on Luke Skywalker. Now, young Skywalker, you will die. This was undoubtedly the scariest thing I had ever seen, and yet I was obsessed. From there, I don't have too many Star Wars memories that are specific. I have little things here and there. I have playing with toys that my older cousin Ian had. I have a memory of having a Return of the Jedi book, like a children's book, that also had a cassette, or it might have even been a record that you played along with it, and you read along with the story. I remember eventually having my own Star Wars toys. I remember all sorts of little bits and moments from my childhood that had to do with Star Wars. But the first time that I can remember Star Wars being something more than just a movie I loved came when I was in middle school. Now, it's hard for people to realize, uh, younger people, I should say, to realize, there was a time when Star Wars was a big thing, but it wasn't the biggest thing. And when I was in middle school in the early 90s, Star Wars was definitely still a thing that kids liked and was, you know, somewhat popular, but it really wasn't... You wouldn't walk into every store the way you do now and see something Star Wars. You know, every trip to Kmart with my mom didn't necessarily bring a Star Wars toy or something like that. They were there, but it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. And I was on vacation with my family in Florida, and we we always rented this condo in a town called Satellite Beach, and across the street from the condo was a little bookstore. It was in that bookstore that I bought this book that I'm holding in my hand, Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. The first part was called the Thrawn Trilogy. Now, like all little kids, I had played with my Star Wars figures and made up stories that happened after Return of the Jedi about what happened to Luke and Han and Leia and all those characters. But this book opened me up to a whole different perspective. It was a sophisticated, interesting, challenging view of the world after Return of the Jedi. The Grand Admiral's new command room was two levels below the bridge, in a space that had once housed the former commander's luxury entertainment suite. When Pelion had found Thrawn, or rather, when the Grand Admiral had found him, one of his first acts had been to take over the suite and convert it into what was essentially a secondary bridge. A secondary bridge, meditation room, and perhaps more. It was no secret aboard the car. Uh, this trilogy, the Thrawn trilogy, is 
and remains one of the more important pieces of fiction I've ever read in my life. And while I never really dug into the Star Wars extended universe in a really deep way, this book gave me hope that maybe one day there'd be more Star Wars stories. From then, I would find Star Wars popping up in my life in uh, in more meaningful ways. Uh, I, I have a lot of cousins. I, I always grew up with my cousins around. It was a great way to grow up. And I have three female cousins that are all within six months of my age. So we grew up in a lot of ways like siblings. And I remember all of them fawning over Luke Skywalker when he's staring at the binary sunset. And I guess having my own crush on Princess Leia, specifically Princess Leia from The Empire Strikes Back. I was never one for Slave Leia the way that a lot of, I think, guys a little bit older than me were because it always just seemed kind of gross to me. You know, she's being pressed up against Jabba and wasn't cool. I also remember going to Florida again with my family and going to MGM Studios at Disney and buying this... um, uh, I, I guess it's it's not really a statue. It's not really a a toy. It was this like ceramic Darth Vader that was probably you know a foot tall or so. And for the whole vacation, I don't think it left my side the whole time. And I was way too old to be carrying around a toy like that. But I had it like I'd bring it into the restaurant we'd eat in, and it sat next to my bed. And I was just transfixed by this Darth Vader. And my love for Star Wars was such that when it came time for the prequels to come out. I had heard from friends of mine that if you worked at the movie theater by our house, you would get to see movies a day early. And just the mere prospect of seeing The Phantom Menace a day early caused me to get a job at the movie theater. And uh, it was true. I got to see The Phantom Menace before anybody else did. It was probably a 3 or 3.30 showing on the day before it opened. And as I was leaving the theater, there were people who were lined up to see it at midnight that night. Uh, you know, probably the best, it's best to just leave The Phantom Menace to the episode on the prequels, which is coming a little bit later. But as an adult, um, I married to somebody who's never seen Star Wars. Uh, when we first started dating, I thought I would get her to watch Star Wars one day. And I, I kind of have this memory of us maybe attempting to watch it. We first started dating and her just being totally disinterested. And so that's made the last few months very, very difficult for me because I've been just wanting to talk about Star Wars and thinking about Star Wars so much, and she has no interest. I mean, God bless her, she's kind and she listens to my rambling sometimes, but she doesn't care. And part of the catalyst for starting this podcast is because I think a lot of the folks at Multiversity have the same sort of love for Star Wars that I have. Or at least that's what I thought before I started putting together this episode. What I learned by putting together this episode is that the Star Wars fandom and the Star Wars experience for each of us is so vastly different. You know, you're going to hear Paul talk about his experience as an immigrant with Star Wars. You're going to hear Stevenson talk about how he's his first and truest love for the Star Wars universe is the Phantom Menace. You know, you're going to hear James talk about how he reacts more to the other media, specifically the video games, than he does the films. You're going to hear such interesting perspectives from all the members of our staff that participated. And it's brought me such joy to put this together. And it just reminds me that, you know, these are just stories. They're fake. They're not real. They don't mean anything, or so people will tell you. But really, movies like this, 
experiences like this, they do mean something. And they're really important, not just to me and to the other people who are on this podcast, but I think they're important to the world. And I think it's really wonderful that despite the fact that our staff ranges in age, in life experience, in place of birth, in interest in everything else, we found this kind of unifying love of Star Wars. And I think that you know people like Walt and Vince and Zach and Greg and Alice, who I've known for years and who I'd consider friends, I feel like I have a deeper connection with them after hearing the way they talk about Star Wars. And it's fascinating to hear people like Ken who are a little bit younger than I am, or Chris, who's a little bit older, to talk about their experiences with Star Wars and just to bring this this individuality to the fandom. And I think it's through that individuality that we all find actually this home. This all sounds very cheesy, I realize. I'm recording this late at night, and maybe I'm getting a little sappy, but I, I really do mean all this stuff. And so the rest of the show is going to be about everyone else's experience with Star Wars, their earliest memories, and we are going to start things off with Chris Thompson. Now, it's difficult to do this without getting emotional, which is a bit weird, isn't it? You know, I I mean, that is the kind of influence, the kind of effect that this franchise has. I first saw Star Wars when I was very, very small. Now, you know, Brian wanted us to recount our earliest Star Wars memories And to be honest, my earliest Star Wars memories are tied to my very earliest memories, which is, you know, so strange. But I remember walking past the cinema when I was probably three or four years old. Now, this was in Australia, and at that point in time, we would get movies sort of six to 12 months after the States. And so we wouldn't have got this film until probably 1978. I'm not checking that online. I'm, I'm going by my memories, okay? And I, I think that's when we got it. And I remember walking past the cinema before it was out, and they had the classic poster there. Um, God, what was the name of the guy who did it? Something Jung. And I saw this poster. It's the classic one of Luke with his lightsaber in the air, and Princess Leia down by his leg, showing off hers, and it was so striking, and it fit in with movie posters at the time, but it was just something so different, and I was immediately like, Dad, Dad, I, I want to see this film, I, I want to see this, and of course I'm very small, and you know, when your dad only sees you on weekends, he's pretty quick to agree to stuff and go, well, okay, And at that point in time, I don't think it was out. But when it did come out, he'd made good on the promise. And he took me along to go and see that movie. It it was, you know, incredible. There's not a lot I remember from that first time. I remember the Stormtroopers more than Darth Vader initially. I remembered them being on the Jubax, I think. Again, I'm going to my childhood recollection, not to the facts, because I, I don't know if the, the Jubacks are really only something you see in those so-called special editions. But but anyway, this is what was sticking in my memory. The Sand People, I, I love, but they scared the crap out of me, and I had to have the action figure of them.
then uh, what else do I remember? Uh, of course, I guess like any little boy, uh, I sort of thought Princess Leia was pretty cool for a girl. She seemed to get a pass in that everything was about Ooh, girls. But Princess Leia was okay. And obviously with subsequent films, that grew and you know so as Empire and well Jedi of course came out she was definitely part of me becoming more aware as a a young man boy whatever I was at that time so as I said being in Australia we were getting these films a bit later than everyone else and so I remember the lead up to Empire and I think we were getting trailers at the right time. It's just the films came so much later, you would get the trailers for a full year beforehand. And the Hoyt Cinema on George Street in Sydney, this was essentially the biggest main cinema in town, they had a wall of TV screens that would be showing trailers on repeat. And of course, Star Wars, whatever film was coming up, was always in the mix and coming up again and again. And I can remember standing in front of that bank of televisions watching the trailer for Empire rolling around every 15 minutes or so and I would just keep watching these other trailers to see that one again. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. You know, we, we couldn't get online and just keep hitting replay or anything like that. It was actually, you had to be there. Then for Jedi, that one I particularly remember, and I, I couldn't handle the excitement leading up to it. Again, because of this time delay, my dad at the time was uh, working at a place and he had a friend who could get a VHS, or no, it was a, I think it was actually a Betamax copy of Return of the Jedi a week before release. This was unheard of at that time. We didn't even have uh, a VCR of our own. And we happened to know one member of the family that had one that lived all the way across the other side of town. And so my dad turned up at my place one day with a brown paper bag and a blank, you know, like unlabeled VHS, or no, Betamax cassette in his jacket, gave that to us. And then my sister and brother-in-law and I drove across town to our cousin's place And we watched Return of the Jedi for the very first time one week ahead of release. I have such fond, vivid memories of this, so it it kind of pains me to say, but I still wouldn't recommend doing this. The tracking was terrible. You know, it was an awful copy, as you can imagine, because it had probably been copied upon copied upon copied and filmed off a screen. It was not good at all. Like, the, the... downloads that people get now are way better and I still wouldn't recommend that because Star Wars is something to see and experience on the big screen it's something that I've watched on the big screen since the beginning and will continue to do and I'm so excited to do the same with The Force Awakens very soon 
trying to get tickets has been impossible. And so I'm waiting until actually, you know, it's died down a little, like a weekend or something. And I'm just going to be having to avoid spoilers because I want that proper cinema experience. But seeing Jedi like that the first time blew my mind. And it was incredible. You know, I mean, in hindsight, I go, well, the Ewoks, you know, they're the Jar Jar of the original trilogy. But there is still so many great things to that film. And overall, it's still such a great trilogy. You know, and and there's incredible mythology around it. I am very excited for the new film, but I believe that that is a topic for another time. Zach Wilkerson and my story of how I came into Star Wars is humble but I think no less um, magical than than most. Um, The earliest memory I have of Star Wars is it must have been um, right around the time of the special edition release maybe a little earlier so maybe around 96 or 97. Um, I remember flipping through channels one day um, and coming across Empire um, in the scene right after Han has been frozen in carbonite and Boba Fett is escorting him on to the Slave One, which is still to this day my favorite uh, Star Wars universe ship. just remember being just captivated and in awe of the of the world of the atmosphere the the sense of doom and I just I I was aware of Star Wars previously but something about this moment this scene at this time just really really captured me and after that I was all in um I remember um just being so excited in the lead up to um Phantom Menace which um, sad story I actually didn't see in theaters. No one in my family was really um, all that into Star Wars, and so I read the novelization, which in hindsight actually might have been a better experience. It was all so quick, so instantaneous. One mistake, one misjudgment, and he would be out of the race, and lucky if he weren't dead. That was the thrill of it. All of that power, all that speed, just as his fingertips, and no margin for error. Star Wars has just continued to shape um, my life and my interest moving in the intervening years. And I just remember, I think I must have been around 10, 11, and I was hanging out with an, an older cousin. And um, we were in a toy aisle, and we saw an action figure of Obi-Wan. And he, he made a comment or something like, 
about how stupid it was that Obi-Wan let himself be killed by Darth Vader. And in, in my 10-year-old, 11-year-old head, I remember just thinking, no, no, he, he had to die in order to become one with the Force and help Luke become the Jedi he needed to be. And I think the fact that I was having those kinds of thoughts as a 10-year-old has really spoken volumes about the kind of Star Wars fan I've been in, in the time since then. Hey, this is Mark. I first saw Star Wars when I was seven years old. Um, I was about to go to bed when my brother called me from the lounge room, and I came in, and the movie had already started. I'd missed the opening crawl, and the Tantive Four was flying overhead, followed by the Star Destroyer. And that pretty much sums up everything that I uh, love about that, that first movie. It was big, grand adventure, and bigger and grander than anything I'd ever seen before. Um, at the time, I was uh, writing a story about pirates in an exercise book, and you can tell the Star Wars influence because the very next day, all of a sudden, there's ghosts in it that are fighting with essentially lightsabers. saw The Empire Strikes Back a week after Star Wars, and it immediately became my favourite Star Wars film, and still is. Um, what I like about it, and what immediately appealed to me, I guess, was that it was unsettling. Um, all the characters are melancholy, and um, instead of it being, you know, there's this big dragon we have to go off and slay in the form of a Death Star kind of story, instead it was there's this monster after us, and we're just running from it. You know, like, right from the beginning, basically, it's established. They're being hunted by the Empire, and the Empire is after them the entire time, and, you know, it, it's it, it's like a nightmare. They can't... They, there's no winning state for them in that movie. Um, I don't know why that appealed to me as a seven-year-old, but it did. Um, I liked that, you know, there was no way for the characters to win. I liked that Luke got his hand chopped off. Um, that had a I, like seeing a hero get his hand chopped off. That blew my mind. Um, basically, having a movie that ended with uh, all the characters kind of sitting there going, "Oh God, we're in a mess of shit." Um, yeah, that that really really appealed to me. Um, that's what I want in a sequel. That's what I want in stories in general. I don't know. I just I really like it. My name is Craig Mutasevich. I write various and sundry for Multiversity Comics, as well as co-hosting the Robots from Tomorrow podcast with Mike Romeo. I've been giving this a lot of thought, and I can't quite pinpoint when Star Wars came into my life. 
I was born a few months before A New Hope hit theaters, so unlike most of the people on this podcast, Star Wars wasn't the multimedia juggernaut that it is today or even 25 years ago when I encountered it. Uh, the Holy Trilogy were two great and one decent sci-fi movies that had some spin-offs and merchandising, but that was it. So my first Star Wars experience could either have been a paperback size reprinting of the Empire Strikes Back comics adaptation that was missing the first 20 pages or so, a large Empire Strikes Back picture book, a picture book with cassette retelling of A New Hope, complete with John Williams' music and Ben Burtt's special effects, or catching parts of A New Hope on HBO, and knowing it was something important because my father and older brothers were transfixed on it. So, I guess, instead of bursting into my life like an Imperial Star Destroyer, uh, George Lucas's films were much more Senator Palpatine slowly morphing into Emperor Palpatine as the years of my interaction with the franchise went on. Which isn't to say that I think they're evil. Uh, just that my enjoyment of them as I've grown older usually depends on the certain point of view I'm looking at them from. A certain point of view? You're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Such as... Is the Star Wars phenomenon something I want to support with my continued patronage? So to answer that question, so over the years, certain things have happened that have made me, you know, consider Star Wars in one light or the other. And there's more than this, but here are a few examples. Uh, the 501st Stormtrooper Legion doing charity work. Good. George Lucas's refusal to either reissue the original unaltered trilogy or properly give them the special edition treatment any number of fan editors are doing as we speak? Bad. Star Wars necessitating the creation of Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, which revolutionized movie special effects for the next 40 years, and, oh, spun off a little herd of company called Pixar. Good. Star Wars solidifying the stranglehold of blockbuster thinking on movie studios and laying waste to entire generations of mid-level filmmaking where risk could be taken and talent developed? bad. So this struggle, he says with air quotes, to figure out Star Wars' place in my life as it's sort of popped in and out and we've gone our separate ways and come back together and so on and so forth. And the fact that I can't just let it go speaks, I think, to the purity of the franchise. Because at its core, when you strip everything else away, Star Wars is a vehicle for talented people to deliver entertaining stories. And why would I want to give up hope of being potentially as entertained as an adult as I was when I first discovered the franchise as a kid? Remember, the Force will be with you. Always. Hi, my name's Stevenson. And uh, I've always had a relatively unconventional relationship with the Star Wars franchise. I'm 24, so I wasn't around when the original trilogy were released, and growing up with parents who weren't really interested in anything sci-fi, Luke and his buddies never really got a look in at my house. My inner nerd first reared its head when I was about six or seven. I was living in a tiny rural village in England, and I fed it pretty solidly on a diet of TV shows like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, Biker Mice from Mars, Street Sharks, Sonic the Hedgehog. Anything that was neon-soaked and had ripped jeans and played sort of hip-hop beats. That was that was what I was interested in at the time. Um, I was convinced that the coolest thing that could have happened to me would have been being soaked in radioactive ooze and moving to New York so I could battle street-level crime. 
the idea of this ancient order of peaceful, sort of sepia-toned monks felt pretty far removed from me. But then, all of a sudden, it was 1999. I was about eight, maybe nine years old when The Phantom Menace was released. And it blew my mind. Because here's this film, and it's full of alien creatures with funny accents and backflipping jewels, high-stakes pod racing matches, deep space dogfights, like weird and wonderful Jedi from every corner of the galaxy, and Darth Maul with his jewel-weeding lightsaber, I was transfixed. fascination with Star Wars sort of started to make a little bit more sense to me. It didn't really matter that the CGI was beyond questionable or that I'd zoned out when trade federations were mentioned. I still re-watched episode one like it was a holy text. I played N64 pod racer until I'd unlocked Sebulba. I sent off to Walkers for a rubber Jar Jar Binks head with extending tongue. I really, at that point, I think that was the height of my Star Wars mania. Episodes two and three offered diminishing returns as far as I was concerned. I was a bit older, and the hammy acting and the confused subplots seemed less forgivable than they were in The Phantom Menace. I mean, I watched them, I enjoyed them, but Star Wars had really peaked for me already. Further than that, I'd, I've never really got into the extended universe. I've never tried a Star Wars novel. Um, I've enjoyed some of the comics, but um, the, the further universe never really gripped me. Obviously, now I'm slightly older and a little bit wiser, I... I have a much more of an appreciation for the original trilogy, and I kind of get 4, 5, 6 as films and as cultural touchstones. But just like the James Bond that I kind of feel most connected to is, for better or worse, Pierce Brosnan, I think the film that's made me a Star Wars fan has got to be episode one, which is kind of why I'm hoping The Force Awakens is every bit as amazing as it seems, because it's really embarrassing explaining to people that The Phantom Menace is your favourite Star Wars movie. Hi, my name is Alice W. Cattle, and I'll be talking about my memories of Star Wars. It's kind of hard to talk about my memories of Star Wars because, for as far as I can remember, Star Wars has always been a part of my life. I remember having the VHS copies of the original trilogy when I was younger, but it was specifically the, I think it was the 1993 releases that were slightly digitally remastered, but not the 1997 special edition ones that had the kind of slow descent into hell that was poorly implemented CGI. Look, Java, even I get boarded sometimes. I think I had a choice, but I got a nice, easy charter now. I'll pay you back, plus a little extra. I just need a little more time. But that's... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my memories of Star Wars. And weirdly enough, my memories of Star Wars aren't actually watching Star Wars. I never saw Star Wars in the theatre because 
all of them had come out by the time I was born. And so I only ever watched them on VHS. And I'm pretty convinced that my first time watching them on VHS, I was too young to still have that memory. I have a terrible memory as it is. So looking back, it's kind of hard to figure out which of these are genuine memories and which are um, projections I have as a sort of adult. I mean, I'm a millennial, so we get to be kind of adults at this point. But the point is, my first memories of Star Wars are always about merchandising, actually. Um, I remember having birthday parties themed around Star Wars, where I would get Star Wars toys, where I would... I think I still have most of them, honestly. And it's this weird phenomenon where Star Wars, the movies, were so ingrained into who I was that it just kind of enveloped my life as a child. I remember loving it so much that at one point my uh, bedroom was repainted to look like the bridge of a Star Destroyer, which I'm kind of devastated that that hasn't been preserved in some way through a photograph or something. I feel like I should have proof that that actually happened. But yeah, it's kind of strange that looking back on it, the only genuine memory I have of watching the original trilogy, I remember the VHS copy we had of Return of the Jedi. There's the scene where Han, Luke, Leia and chewing C-3PO and R2-D2 are on the shuttle Tidarium going to Endor and they're flying past the the Imperial fleet and there's the scene where you know they're checking the codes and Luke and Vader sense each other and Vader lets them uh, land Shuttle Tidarium transmitted the clearance code for shield passage Transmission commencing now we find out if that code is worth the price we paid. It'll work. It'll work. Vader's on that ship. Now, don't get jittery, Luke. There are a lot of command ships. <laughs> keep your distance. The VHS sir, copy I had, like the tracking would cut out at that point, know. and there was no audio. So, for the majority, like, the first majority of my life watching these films until I think I got maybe the DVDs later, I never actually knew the significance of that scene because I didn't hear the audio, which is really strange to think back on it, to miss such an important scene in that series, that connection between those characters, because the VHS tape was kind of iffy. It's strange because I feel like a lot of the film is just kind of almost second-hand knowledge to me at this point where it feels like the memories were always there in a strange way. I never feel like I watched them for the first time. I feel like I was kind of born with that experience in a strange way. But yeah, and it's influenced me a lot as a person, strangely as evidenced by the fact that I'm still talking about Star Wars, what, more than 20 years later? Hi, this is Paul. 
uh, occasional columnist on Multiversity. I remember as a kid that when I was in preschool, around the time the, um, the, the original trilogy was coming out, I used to take my brother's action figures, you know, the ones that if they were new in box would be worth like a billion dollars. Uh, but I'd, I'd take his Luke Skywalker or I'd take his Darth Vader and I'd sneak it into my pocket and bring it to preschool and play with him there, leave him behind and never see him again. And my brother, uh, poor, poor soul, was traumatized by this experience that, that you know, his, his beloved action figures would just disappear. Um, but I think that's what Star Wars was to us. Uh, a couple of immigrant boys um, growing up in the United States and this huge pop cultural phenomenon, which represented to us, I think, uh, a kind of storytelling, a kind of, um, uh, uh, I don't know, a kind of this you know fantasy world that was suddenly within reach. You could go to the grocery store and, and buy an action figure. And yet it was as easy gone as it was easy come that we, we, we always had the, the chance to watch the movies, but never really a chance to understand all of what was going on uh, because of the language. Or we had a chance to have the action figures, but just never really got the full playset or or could play with other kids uh, who had those toys uh, for whatever reason. And so Star Wars to me was the first, I think, epic universe that was kind of this tantalizing invitation for me to participate in the broader culture, but I could just never really get a handle on. And I remember when I was in middle school, learning about the hero journey concept from Joseph Campbell and how Star Wars was this you know, relevant, up-to-date example of it. And, and I just rewatched those trilogies on the old VHS tapes um, over and over again internalizing the pattern of the individual lone hero within this larger epic uh universal battle and i thought that that would that just utterly blew my mind and i think for me and for for kids who grew up in my generation that's what that story represented something so vast that um you could just spend years digging into all of its crevices and um, and I loved that. Um, honestly, I, I never really got into it uh, as much as others did. Um, but I was thankful for the view, and I think that it it prepared me for um, a lifetime of nerdery. <laughs> and so, uh, thanks. Hats off to Star Wars. I'm excited to see Force Awakens. Hello, this is Ken Gobberson III, staff writer with Multiversity Comics. When I think of Star Wars and how it came into my life and how it has impacted me, I think of two separate moments. I was born in 1989, years after the original trilogy was out of theaters, so the first time I saw the movies were on VHS. I believe it was either five or six when I first saw Empire Strikes Back with my parents, and as easy as it would be to say that someone like Luke or Han or Leia spoke most to me originally... Come on, it was all about Darth Vader. Darth Vader was and is one of the pinnacle of cool villains. He has an amazing, intimidating design. He is a kick-ass spaceship with that Super Star Destroyer, as well as a giant fleet of minions. And he, and he had that cool red lightsaber. I mean, sure, Luke had a lightsaber too, but he lost his by the end, the useless brat. And that first moment you see Vader, 
his back to the screen and the only sounds of that intimidating breathing and the Imperial March blasting, it's pure chills. It still serves as one of my favorite entrances for a villain. The second moment that really stands out for me wasn't until the prequel trilogy. Now, I saw The Phantom Menace in theaters, so I was nine, and like any nine-year-old, I thought it was cool because, well, I was nine. Excuse me, but the most safest place would be Gonga City. It's where I grew up. Tis a hidden city. So, years pass, and, and when I'm about 12 or 13, I see The Phantom Menace again, and my reaction was much different from nine-year-old me. I noticed all the stilted dialogue, the poor CGI, the lazy and boring plot. The Phantom Menace was important to me because it helped unlock my critical eye to really examine movies and games and other entertainment that I consume until the result was this bitter as all hell cynic you are now listening to who had the nerve to give an issue of Batgirl the positively scathing score of a 7 out of 10. On one final note in regards to my memories of Star Wars, the Ewoks. Now, I know... People keep saying that they're the Gungans of the original trilogy. Ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary, the Ewoks were killers. Don't you remember? They were going to kill and eat Han and Luke. At the end of Jedi, they made a xylophone out of the heads of Imperial soldiers. Okay, I like to think that the heads were still in those helmets during the Yub Yub song. I mean, they probably weren't, but that would go against some personal canon. The point is, again, don't underestimate the, the Ewoks, because they'll shove a spear up your ass. This is Jess Camacho. My memories with Star Wars don't go back nearly as far as some of my other, fr my fellow fans. Um... I didn't really get into Star Wars till I was like 13 or 14. Um, it was right around the time that episode 3 was going to be on TV. It was going to be on one of those movie channels. And for whatever reason, Cinemax was showing like a, the original trilogy, like commercial free. It was like the, uh, the super edited versions. Of course they were, because I've still never seen the original theatrical version. But they were showing them, so... I decided that that would be the time that I got into Star Wars. A lot of my friends were into it, and um, so it always ended up being one of those things that I was eventually going to check out. Um, that was, like, the time where I started really getting into more of my geeky fandom stuff, like comic books and science fiction and all of that. Um, so, so I got to see the original trilogy straight through with no commercials, all in a row, and that was kind of like the perfect way to see it. I got to really take everything in and see this whole full story unfold over, what, like six, seven hours, maybe even longer than that, probably close to pushing eight. Um, and I think the first character that really stuck out for me was Princess Leia. Um, she was just this really tough, person who really didn't take anything from anybody and she was incredibly smart um she led a lot of the missions that the rebellion was doing and she was a huge part of the their eventual win um i really found myself attached to her courage because 
she watched her entire planet get blown up in front of her face and she still found a way to be okay. She was hurt, but she kept going. She kept doing her job. She kept fighting. She kept doing what she thought was morally right. I mean, imagine everybody you know dies while you're watching it happen. But you can't stop and dwell on it because there's so much work that needs to be done. And I like that about her. And I like that she also had this vulnerable side when it came to her relationship with Han Solo. And even when he was almost taken away from her, she kept going. And so anything Princess Leia, I end up being so into because I, I admire her so much as a character. Um, I also thought Luke was... Luke is probably my second favorite character of the entire series because... I really liked how he was just this farm kid from this little nowhere place that became something so much more important than anyone ever thought he could be. And it's cool because, you know, if you grow up in a small town, that's kind of what you have. You have your dreams, you have your hopes, you want to be something way bigger than what anyone expects. And Luke is that, but he becomes this hero and one of the greatest Jedis ever, um through his determination and idealism. And it's it's not, you know, he's not as cool as Leia, but there's a lot to admire about him because he really ends up being what Anakin should have been. And he kind of proves you make your own path in life. And I love that about him. Um, so, you know, right around that time too, the prequels were out and I was still young. So <laughs> no one warned me <laughs> that they weren't very good. Um, so, you know, episodes one and two were just so bad, but I stand by episode three being a great film. I think there's a lot you can pull out of that. And there's just this, there's this fascination I have with the politics of Star Wars and how the Empire ends up, um, taking over and then its eventual fall. I think there's so much stuff you could pull out of that. And I think that that was something the prequels could have done really well, but just didn't. This turn of events is unfortunate. We must accelerate our plans. Begin landing our troops. My lord, is that legal? I will make it legal. Star Wars to me was always something that is so layered and so important. And as someone who's in college now studying political science, I find myself always thinking about a lot of those little things with Star Wars. Um... I've never really got, I never really got into the old expanded universe all that much. It was so vast and I got into it so late that I really was so lost of what to get into. But I'm hoping that this new movie touches on some of that stuff. Um, I really hope it does. But what I hope for the future of Star Wars is that it holds on to the appeal that it has. It's, it's this cool science fiction action movie, but there's stuff in there that you don't really see until you get older. Like, again, with Princess Leia and the destruction of Alderaan, you know, when I was a teenager, I didn't really care that much that her planet got blown up. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Sucks for her. But as you get older, you're like, you know, every person she ever knew is gone. And any person she ever would have known on that planet is gone. And that's a really sad thought. And you get older, you start to understand loss a little bit better. And especially with Luke, you understand him a lot more. And I think when you're older, you really understand Han a lot more, too. That he's just this guy looking out for himself and doing what he needs to do um, to get by. And 
you know, I think everybody finds himself in that kind of position at some point in their life. And, you know, so he's also someone else to admire a little bit and to relate to, especially. Um, but I just hope that Star Wars can really continue to capture that broad appeal for younger and older people. And the only other thing I could really think that ever that ever really got to that point was the Harry Potter franchise, which is something else I, I adore. You see things a little different when you're older, and that's kind of why every time you watch Star Wars, you always find something new and something exciting. And yeah, I mean that's one of my that's one of my favorite things about the franchise. Um, so yeah, I really just hope the the new movie can capture that and and be that and not disappoint us because there's a lot of hype going into this and the original three are in it and who knows what the future is going to hold for them. But I, I hope I hope that the future is very very bright with this franchise and that the force is with them. I'm Matt Garcia. Okay, so I first saw Star Wars in 1997 when George Lucas released the first iteration of the special editions in theaters. My dad had taken me and I was like 10 going on 11 and I remember that Star Wars itself was actually sold out. So my dad who has never really been one to care about continuity to begin with was like whatever and we ended up going to Empire Strikes Back instead. I can't tell you if seeing the trilogy out of order had much effect on how I've engaged with it but I do remember that I was never at a loss of what was going on or who was who, and that I was completely enraptured by the time the AT-ATs attacked the Hoth base. And when the Millennium Falcon was escaping through the asteroid field, dodging TIE fighters and Star Destroyers, I was watching with, like, literal Steven Universe stars for eyes. Uh, that theater eventually closed down, and I think it's a motorcycle store now, and my dad doesn't have any memory of taking me. So yeah, I did eventually go see the first movie and then Return of the Jedi when it came out later that year. And for my birthday, my parents got me the VHS box set of the trilogy. It was like the last time that the original cuts were available on home video. Star Wars ended up going into the big cultural stew of my imagination, and while it never really had the same hold over me as like Harry Potter or the Roald Dahl books or Jurassic Park, it was still super exciting and captivating, and there was always somebody you could talk to about it. It was one of those things that I don't think I'd ever really noticed hanging around until I'd been exposed to it, and then you saw it everywhere, and like my sh shelves were just packed with toys and books and costumes and games. Oh, a lot of people want to talk about Knights of the Old Republic being the definitive Star Wars game, but Shadows of the Empire on the Nintendo 64, 
that was where that was at. I never really got into the expanded universe, and it's only been recently that I've actually started looking at it, but mostly that's because I'm looking for fodder for my Edge of the Empire campaign. Most of my relationship with Star Wars comes from the movies, the original trilogy, and then the prequels, which were released throughout my high school and early college career. And while I'm sure that there's a bit of nostalgia at play when I'm watching Star Wars now, I think a lot of their current appeal comes from just, like, how well told these stories are. I mean, as a kid, you're just caught up in the adventure and drama and spectacle of the movies, but, like, as I got older, I find that there's just much to admire in its storytelling. Because, oh my god, there are a lot of goofy and nonsensical things that are happening in these movies. Any concept of time is, like, ludicrous. The first movie takes place, like, over a course of a day, and Empire is a week, maybe? Or a week for some characters, and a couple hours for some others, though they all converge at the same point? Plots were definitely not thought out, and some elements were just introduced then ignored completely. But god damn it, do those movies know how to deliver a narrative. They're spectacular, yes, but they're also incredibly patient. The initial, like, hour of Star Wars uh, involves Luke and Obi-Wan trying to figure out a way to get off planet. And it's not until after the Falcon, like, flies into the remains of Alderaan that any of the set pieces start getting relentless. But the way the movies introduce information or reference some bigger galactic conflict makes them feel so much bigger and, like, a lot more has been happening. I think that just anytime you sit down and watch them and get enveloped in them, you're so captured in it that you can't help but just continue. Star Wars also acted as like a gateway for me to like other movies. Um, I wouldn't have discovered Kurosawa without Star Wars or um, Lawrence of Arabia in it just because like well, Alec Guinness was in that. It wore its influence wildly and openly, but it took them and remixed them into its own thing. And I think that's also something that you need to admire because it also still feels fresh and new and like you're just discovering something else. And that's like some really just quality, quality storytelling. The kind of stuff that has, you know, cross-generational appeal or something that sticks. Star Wars is also one of those things that's just really, really fun to share with other people. I've had a lot of friendships that have been kind of based around it. Uh, part of, like, my bonding with my boyfriend was through Star Wars. Part of my, like, engagement with 30 Rock was through Star Wars. Uh, last At the end of last year, I had shown the movie as, like, a movie night for a bunch of my students. And, you know, you just have this group of middle school kids totally engrossed in what's going on, even though it is such a slow and patient movie. It is definitely infectious, and it's definitely one of those things that makes you feel almost like the first time that you've seen it and like that community that it brings around you and that feeling of like shared excitement and thrills kind of make it more than just a movie and I think that's one of Star Wars's lingering achievements in that beyond just the merchandising and the books and the onslaught of material that surrounds uh, the Star Wars universe it brought people together through just really strong and creative and imaginative storytelling and i think that's something that you all kind of want to aspire to to find something that kind of expresses you or gives you 
happiness or joy or something to look up to. And I think that's part of Star Wars's just legacy. And that might be the Star Wars legacy. Hi, this is James Johnston. My first instance with Star Wars was probably around 2000 when I was about five years old. My parents, uh, I was at my aunt's house and my parents had put on The Phantom Menace, which had just come on DVD. And as a kid, I had heard of like Star Wars before. I think I knew what Luke, I Am Your Father is. I was aware of sort of like the cultural, this is a thing I should probably know about, even if I was five years old and not entirely sure what was going on. And I think even as a five-year-old, I was watching Phantom Menace, and it just didn't click with me. Are you an angel? What? An angel. I heard the deep space pilots talk about them. They're the most beautiful creatures in the universe. They live on the moons of Diego, I think. You're a funny little boy. There was just the thing about it that didn't really work. And so Star Wars sort of existed on the outside of like my cultural parameter, because I enjoyed the concept of it, and I still do, but I just didn't like watching the movies as a little kid. As a little kid, but when I was about eight or so, I got this collect uh, this encyclopedia. I think DK Books publishes these things where they give you the whole story and backstory and everything for like Incredible Hulk or Spider Man or whatever. And they did one for Star Wars that I read cover to cover about 70 times as a eight-year-old and I think that's what made me interested in Star Wars not the idea of like the prequel movies which were the only ones I really had seen but just like flipping through the book and seeing that a thousand years ago the ancient Sith guy from Knights of the Old Republic did this and then fast forwarding a couple pages later and seeing, reading about Chewbacca's death, and as a kid, that blew my mind, because I was like, whoa, Chewbacca died, and no one knows this. And when I was a kid, I thought that made me really special, because nobody had this information but me and a few other select individuals. And then later, I realized that the comic book story where Chewbacca died was actually just kind of lame, and now it's not even canon. But I think that book sort of sparked my interest in Star Wars enough to actually go back and watch the original movies from the 70s and 80s. And I think something with those clicked with me as a child that just didn't with the prequel. And it's not to say that the pre that even as a kid, I like had the superior taste where I could tell that, ooh, the prequels are such bad movies. I still liked them as a kid. I liked watching lasers and I liked seeing big aliens. But the story in the original Star Wars movies and Han Solo and... Luke and Princess Leia, they just grabbed me more than Rat Tail Anakin Skywalker or whoever the hell that guy was, right? But yeah, even in even though I like the prequel movies, I think the biggest interaction I've ever had with Star Wars has come from all of the non-media, non-movie media. So when I was in high when I was in elementary school and they were uh, hyping up the release of Revenge of uh, Revenge of the Sith, Revenge of the Sith. Um, they had that original Clone Wars cartoon on Cartoon Network, which was done by I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Gennady Tartavosky, who did Samurai Jack, and that was the craziest. That was the 
best. That's kind of what I hope the new J.J. Abrams movies are. Uh, combining like this high and like action stuff that they had in the cartoons with the money and budget they had for the prequel movies, but with like the heart and soul of the original films. So yeah, like I was saying, the cartoon series struck out to me a lot as a kid just because I loved Asajj Asajj Vetris. I loved cartoon Obi-Wan Kenobi, even if I did not care about Ewan McGregor. And I spent about either 20 or 300 hours playing Star Wars Battlefront, which is to this day the best Star Wars piece of media ever released. In fact, I'd say that Star Wars has worked way, 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 way more. Way more as a video game than than it has as movies, for me at least, than I feel for a bunch of other people. Because I know that I feel like a lot of nerd friends that I had in high school and some in college are crazy for Star Wars Battlefront. But we never really talk about the prequels movies that much. Um, And I know that if – I don't know that. I know – and I think this just might be an example of people getting excited about more niche things than mainstream things. But I find that if you ever talk about Star Wars with somebody and you mention like the original movies, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, those are good movies. And then if you mention Knights of the Old Republic, if they've played it, they're like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, let's talk about Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Because that's just such a good game. So I think there is kind of this weird cultural difference for people who were born right as the prequels were coming out and people who were born with the original movies where we're kind of in this world where we've always accepted Star Wars to be Star Wars Battlefront or Knights of the Old Republic or all of the thousands of expanded universe things that have come out between Return of the Jedi and now. And I also think that puts us in a pretty interesting place with all the OG Star Wars fans coming forward where we don't know what's going to happen with the new movies either because all of our stuff has been rendered non-canon. I think I think all of Old Republic and Knights of the Old Republic doesn't count anymore. I know that time with Chewbacca dying definitely doesn't count anymore. Um, and yeah, I'm wondering if maybe Force Awakens will be able to like be the key that ignites my like passion for Star Wars that I should have had as a kid. Because as a kid, I was mostly into horror stuff, like Courage the Cowardly Dog, which is horror when you're a kid. Or if I'll think it's like another, if I'll think of it in the same way I did with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, where I really enjoy it, but I also can't remember what happened a week after I saw it. So, J.J. Abrams and Star Wars will probably be pretty cool, but you should definitely call me back when Ryan Johnson is on board to direct Hello, boys and girls. This is Vince from the DC3 at Multiversity, answering my fellow podcaster Brian's question about my earliest Star Wars memories. For reference, I am 28 years old and was a middle child growing up with a brother about 10 years older than me. Like any pop culture phenomenon that stands the test of time, Star Wars is something that gets passed down through generations. 
Hell, there are Star Wars TV ads right now that play off of that fact quite effectively. As a young and impressionable boy, I used to look up to my older brother and the things that he liked. Growing up, his bedroom was a treasure trove of pop culture that I would explore while he was out of the house. Star Wars models, comic books, trading cards, action figures, etc. I'd spend hours with all of this stuff, being very reverential and careful not to ruin any of its value, which was extremely important. I suppose that's part of the reason why I grew up to be a comic fan that obsessively bags and boards all of his comics. But going back a little bit, I can pinpoint the exact moment that I went from not knowing to knowing what Star Wars was, and it was actually somewhat traumatic for me. My older brother was getting ready for Halloween one year, toiling away on his costume in his room while he was supposed to be babysitting us. He couldn't be bothered that night, so my little brother and I played in the family room without him. Suddenly the door of his room flies open and out walks slowly and with imposing physicality the spitting image of Darth Vader in full costume. In retrospect, he was probably a great deal shorter than Darth Vader was supposed to be, but I'd never seen Darth Vader to that point or anything from Star Wars. I had no idea. Who was this masked man and what did he do to our older brother and what was he going to do to us? Those were things that I probably would have thought if I wasn't too busy screaming and hightailing it into my bedroom down the hall. It wasn't long before I could hear both of them laughing at me from the hallway. I was the scaredy cat of the family after all, and I still am. Uh, as an aside... My older brother would later come into possession of a Star Wars pillowcase with some obscure and decidedly off-model versions of the familiar characters printed on it. My brothers would chase me around the house with the pillow because I was particularly fearful of the grotesque and incorrect version of C-3PO that was on the pillowcase. Despite my fear, it wasn't long before I was morbidly curious about Star Wars and would consult my brother about all the characters. This is before I ever saw so much as a glimpse of the actual movies. He would tell me bits and pieces of the story. I was just convinced that I was too scared to watch them all yet. When I finally did, I acclimated myself to the creeps in the cantina bar, the sand person who jumps into the frame, that was my first jump scare, the tauntaun being cut in half, that was my first experience in gross-out humor, I suppose. Uh, so much of what I liked about Star Wars was me becoming accustomed to what was strange about it. I would watch the three tapes of the original version on repeat, spending whole Saturdays learning all the dialogue, knowing all the music cues, picking up little things here and there that I'd never noticed before. I loved every minute of those three. I started wanting to know more about it all. How does an epic trilogy of this sort come to be? And why is there nothing else like it? I soon found out that everyone, even the most minor character, the medical droid, for crying out loud, had a name and a story. I got a Star Wars encyclopedia for Christmas that explained each member of the Max Rebo band had a name, a personality, and a background. It's how I learned that Anakin fought Obi-Wan in an epic duel on a volcanic planet before I ever saw it play out in a shittier movie than the one that I made up in my mind. You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them! 
bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. I couldn't get enough of this stuff. I poured over it all. I bought all the toys, the books, the games, Star Wars the t-shirt, Star Wars the coloring book, Star Wars the lunchbox, Star Wars the breakfast cereal, Star Wars the flamethrower, and the retrospectively not all that funny Mel Brooks parody film. The kids love this one. And the attachment became emotional. Revenge of the Sith came out in 2005, which was my senior year of high school. By that time, I still liked Star Wars, but I was old enough to have spotted the disappointments in the prequels. I was old enough to have not really liked Attack of the Clones all that much. And I felt like I no longer needed to see the already documented events of Anakin's downfall play out any longer. Nonetheless, I was still there in the theater at midnight on opening night. And tears still welled up in my eyes as the Lucasfilm logo shimmered on the screen. And the opening burst of the score belted out. This would be the last time I see a new Star Wars in a theater, I thought. I'll talk again later about the fact that I was wrong about all of that and that we've got a seventh installment coming in mere weeks from now. But for now, those are my earliest memories of Star Wars, a property that can make me nostalgic and an emotional wreck with just a few musical notes. Hi, I'm Walt, and like everyone else recording these, I love Star Wars. Not a controversial thing to say, but... Nevertheless. But interestingly, unlike a lot of people, I don't really remember my first time watching it. See, I grew up uh, during the 90s when the special editions were coming out. And so, for me, Star Wars has just kind of always been there. I can't remember the first time I saw Vader tell Luke he was his father, which, spoilers, sorry for those who haven't seen it yet and yet are somehow listening to this. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. In some regards, I feel kind of left out. Because everyone else, they get to meet up with, when they're talking with other fans. Oh man, do you remember the first time? And oh yeah, that blew my mind. And I don't get to share in that. But nevertheless, it's still, it was still very much a part of my childhood. Because I feel, you know, the 90s, that was when Star Wars exploded from being a big thing. To being an enormous thing. You had this cross-media explosion beyond anything that had happened before for it. And it was just a great time to be someone who liked Star Wars. You could be a teenager or an, uh, an adult reading the Timothy Zahn novels. Or you could just be a kid like me who had some of the awesome toys that they were making at the time. So... I've always liked Star Wars, and, you know, I, I enjoyed it as a kid, as a teenager, you know, I've watched our old VHSs so much, but I don't think I would con- 
consider myself a fan until I played Knights of the Old Republic. I had read some of the like uh, novels that they had, so the expanded universe, maybe a couple of the comics. Knights of the Old Republic was the first time that I really got into Star Wars and got into it big, because it was a great game. But in particular, as you might imagine from someone who's a comics fan, I have a thing for big shared universes. So when I sat down and you know, there's all this lore going on, I was like, whoa, this is really cool, you know. Did they make this up for the game? And then I read more about it, and I learned about the Tales of the Jedi comics from Dark Horse. And, you know, that's when it kind of bit me, so to speak. You know, I was hooked. I was playing more Star Wars games. I was reading the comics. And especially, you know, now I'm a huge comic fanatic. But at the time, I wasn't really reading them. This was part of what got me into comics, as it were. And so Star Wars, for me, will always be entwined. Uh, with comics and they kind of just feed on each other for me the, my love of both um, and I don't see that diminishing anytime now you know now I've read a lot of what Dark Horse was doing law school hasn't allowed me to keep too much keep up too much with the Marvel comics but I can't wait to just sit down and binge through them I just love Star Wars and I continue, I see myself continuing to love it for probably the rest of my life. Thanks, Walt, and Vince, and Paul, and Ken, and Stevenson, and James, and Mark, and Matt, and Greg, and Alice, and Jess, and Zach, and Chris for sharing your stories with us. But that's not the end of this. We want to hear your stories. We've set up a Google Voice account. So if you want to call 973 913 Four six two seven. Again, that's nine seven three nine one three four six two seven. We want to hear your Star Wars memories. We're gonna pick a few to play at the end of each show going forward from here on out. Please, please check out multiversitycomics.com. We have hopefully all you could ever need from comics, news, reviews, commentary, and more on there. We also have some amazing podcasts as part of our network. We have the DC three cast. We have Robots from Tomorrow, we have Orbital and Conversation, and we have The Final Issue. So if you're listening to this, you like podcasts, check out those podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at ForceGhostC2C. You can also email us, ForceGhostC2C at gmail.com. Big thanks to Matt Belknap and Art19 for hosting the show. And until next time, may the Force be with you. (laughs) 